Apparently, the Barbie movie is a critique on the patriarchy. I want to talk about that word and how we might interact with it. Also, a congresswoman gets her audience way wrong. We'll start there on the Core True Act Show. Apologies for missing last week. Me, my my wife, my big brother, his wife, and my big sister, and her husband. We went to Helen, Georgia, for a couple days. That kept me from being able to record. That was a fantastic time. I just I'm blessed with incredible family, and there's just been a ton. I mean, I'm sitting right now looking at my phone. There are 13 unresponded to text messages. I'm sorry for that to those who I know personally that listen to the show. I'm trying to get there. I just have to do a lot of things. Uh, fortunately, the Lord was good to get me through July, which was a preaching month for me, so I can start turning my attention back to other things, including doing a little, hopefully, more of the Corey Truax show, and also trying to get this video thing worked out. Uh, we're not doing it this week. This is one more week where I just don't have time. Again, i.e., C13 unresponded to text messages. But I'll get back to all of that coming up here soon. Welcome to the Court Truex Show, wherever you find podcasts. I'm glad you're here. I have four topics for you today, starting with Congresswoman Nancy Mace and something embarrassing she said. I want to talk a little bit about the prospect of impeachment, the Barbie movie, not really the Barbie movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it. I just, one of the concepts that come out of it. And then a video from one of the people that I'm now interacting with in the Christian world, a guy named Doug Wilson, that I just want to respond to as I continue to try to wrestle with a lot of stuff on how we live in the world right now. So those are our that, that is our outline. We'll try to do it in 30 or 40 minutes. If you want to get in contact with me, I suggest not texting me. I suggest email CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads. Look for my weird name, Corey Truax. Here we go. Let's play for you the audio. If you listen to conservative media generally, you've probably already heard it. This is Congresswoman Nancy Mace. She represents the Charleston area. She was invited to a prayer breakfast that Senator Tim Scott had put together in Washington, D.C. Nancy Mace has been divorced twice. She's now planning to get... I'm only telling you that because it's relevant to the content of what she's about to say. And she is about to uh, speak at a prayer breakfast. She's about, she's, excuse me. The, the sentence I wanted to go say was, she's been married twice. Is getting ready to get married thir- a third time. She is relatively young. I don't think she's much older than me. I think she's in her mid-40s. This is who got invited to a prayer breakfast, and here is what she told people. On this together, another year, another standing room only event. And when I woke up this morning at 7, I, I was getting picked up at 7.45. Patrick, my fiance, tried to pull me by my waist over this morning in bed. And I was like, no, baby, we don't got time for that this morning. Uh, I got to get to the prayer breakfast. And I got to be on time. And a little TMI. But um, I... He'll, he can wait. He's got, we got, I'll see him later tonight. Um, but I was here early on this day. Just terrible. Just, ugh. Like, she doesn't read the room. When she says, uh, a little TMI, it's because you have just said a very uncomfortable thing in this room. No one's laughing at your stupid joke, your fornication joke. And she doesn't know how to react to a room that doesn't just think it's funny that she was in bed with a man she's not married to who was pulling her by the waist, trying to fornicate with her in the morning before she went to a prayer breakfast. And her joke is, uh no fornication for me this morning. Need to get to the prayer breakfast. Yeah, you do. You need to get to a prayer breakfast. You don't need to be on the stage. You need to be there for a different reason. And I'm not getting angry about it because it's a her. Listen, I get 
I get bothered by these things generally. Just open, unrepentant, joked about sin in a room of Christians and that she just thinks it's normal that this congressperson goes into a room of believers and this is a woman who professes Christianity and just thinks it's super normal that she's sleeping with her fiancé, has adopted fully, has imbibed fully, meaning to drink, she's drank in, she's, she has imbibed the values of the world so much, she'll call herself a Christian, show up at the prayer breakfast, and she's just living in open, unrepentant fornication. And I, I, I'm just blown away by it. It's so obvious she actually doesn't know about Christianity. She doesn't know her audience. It would be one thing if she were hypocritical. She was trying to hide her sin. No, she's not even trying to hide it, and she, she's not even saying it as a statement to like poke at Christians. She's just thinking we're all going <laughs> to nudge, nudge, wink, wink right along with her. This, is the, this tells you something about the state of the American church when it comes to its inter, the intertwined nature it has with politics and one party. Listen, b- believe me, I understand that the party on the left is anti-biblical. Listen to my, my categories here. The party on the left in the United States is anti-biblical. They're not unbiblical, they're anti-biblical. They look at every single pr- principle that's in Scripture and says, no, that's bad. It's not that we're neutral on it. We're anti-Bible. We don't like manhood and womanhood. We don't like marriage. The idea of child-rearing by mom and dad, we are going to tear down structures for that. We're going to build up a government to be dad, a government to be mom. We're going to build a government to do all the things that God is supposed to be or the family is supposed to be or the church is supposed to be. We are anti-biblical. That's the party on the left. Now, the party on the right may not be anti-biblical in every way, but it's unbiblical. Its trajectory might be pointed in a better direction, but the people who make it up, aren't they're not in your family. They're not, they're not abiding in large part by, by biblical thinking. So that's, that's one thing. I just want us to realize as we pursue things politically, there should still be some exile feelings. Just nowhere to call home. You should feel homeless politically because that, that clip, it's one congressperson, but do you think she's not indicative of the group? I think there's 223 Republican congresspeople. And there's, I man, there's some good ones in there and may their tribe increase. But writ large, she is, I think, the rule not the exception. So one is a one one point from that experience is just a uh, some kind of caution about how you interact with politics and playing the team sport that is politics because there are people on your team who are not on your real team that is biblical Christianity. Two, I just want to say this out loud: fornication and divorce are still a big deal. Big deal. It doesn't matter that the culture generally has decided that divorce, getting in and out of marriages, isn't a big deal. That, that you can just get tired of the person you're with, you want to pursue your, quote, best self, so you just get divorced, that's still a very big deal. It's an offense to God, and those who do it unbiblically will face the wrath of God unless they repent of their sin, and Jesus will face that wrath for them. But there is wrath for unbiblical divorces and fornication. I know that we decided sometime in my lifetime, it was some, in the 80s, 90s, we just decided that it's not a big deal that people have sex before they're married. It's a very, very big deal. The sexual act is, by nature, knitting together two souls. It is not recreational in nature. It knits together the innermost parts of two, two people's souls. It is not to be shared anywhere outside of marriage. 
and I know I got a lot of young folks that listen to me, and your attitude, your generation's attitude about sex is just that it's not a big deal. The the fact that we literally came up with about 15 years ago the language of hookup. It's hookup culture. When you have sex with someone, it's a hookup. Like it's 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 such it's so gross to to think about a, a an incredibly important act and talk about it like it's I, I don't know like you're like you're t- dealing with tools. You're just dealing with something very physical. It's not very physical. It's very spiritual. It's those are big deals, and we should call out Nancy Mace for that. I don't know who, who she pretends her pastor is, but that man should call her and make and make a big deal of this. It's still a very big deal that there is fornication, divorce, and we need to be marked differently in this world thinking about sexual ethics. That's the Nancy Mace article, excuse me, audio. One other political note, since that's in the world of politics, then we'll move on to something cultural. And the Again, I'm not going to talk about the Barbie movie. I haven't seen it, but the conversation that it has spurred, I want to talk about. I just want to at least comment on what I think is coming. I actually expect in the coming year for the current president of the United States to be impeached. Not necessarily not necessarily because he deserves it, but I think I think what I'm about to say to you is true. Oh, what am I, 37? Let's say I live 40 more years, 50 more years. I suspect the presidents that will serve in that time, it'll be 7 to 10, depending on you know, stability, more than half will be impeached. That's my, that's my new theory of American politics. Unless things change and we have like a big cultural revival, because I think this happened. I think when the Democrats impeached President Trump the first time, that would have been January of 19, I think. February of 19. That was a... I'm just, I don't like the, the former president. I, I like him less and less every single day, especially now in this campaign season. I'm reminded how much I just viscerally can't stand the person. But that was a very weak, unneeded impeachment, and it cheapened what impeachment was because it was not predicated on high crimes and misdemeanors. It was predicated on a lot of... Uh, theory. Because of that action, the what it means to be impeached won't matter as much. And there's also a cynical thing I think Republicans will do, knowing that the Senate won't remove the president. There's not enough votes. So I think just to fire up the base each time, if there is a, a House of Representatives different than the president, I think they're just going to impeach each other for the rest of my life. And, and know that the Senate won't have the votes to remove, but they will have that that thing to tally up. They can go to their base, they can raise money on it, and say, look, we did it. You know, we, we did the right thing. We impeached our opponent, and you know, nothing will happen because we don't have the votes to remove. But yeah, there's, there's a, an effort we made. So uh, you can mark that down. It's July 31st. This episode will probably come out August 1. I'm telling you, by August 1 next year, there will be an impeachment. He'll be acquitted. And I don't think he'll probably deserve it the same way the former president didn't deserve it. But I think that's just going to be part of our politics now. And so when it does happen, you can keep your blood pressure right down where it is, healthy level. Because I think it's just this meaningless new theater that they'll do. Now, I want to move on to this Barbie thing. But we were talking there when it comes to Nancy Mace about really Christian principle. What what should be? And on the show lately, we have talked about a lot in the last several episodes what it looks like for for good law 
and good justice to be practiced in modern day. We have been trying to apply biblically to the modern world the things in the Old Testament that are sometimes weird. We'll go to the Old Testament and talk about someone being gored by an ox and how that person's neighbor has to pay some kind of recompense. And then we try to think about, well, what, what might that look like in the modern world? And while thinking about that, we're, we're thinking, well, what, what's the equity to bring into the modern world? And the analog might be that of the analog of someone getting gored by an ox in the modern day might be that you or someone you love gets hurt in a car accident. Car accidents, are, they have a, are serious consequences when you come away injured. The medical bills, medical bills are severe. There's lost wages while you're hurt. And while you're trying to recover from those injuries, you're also trying to navigate through the labyrinth of a process of trying to get justice and trying to make that right. I want to take a second to say, don't be intimidated by that. Don't be scared. There are people out there to help you if you have been gored by the modern-day ox in a car accident. And the one I want to point you towards right now is an attorney right here in Greenville. He's a personal friend of mine, and his name is Samuel Harms. You can Google him. It's easy to do. It's easy to find him on Google. It's Samuel Harms, as in stay out of harm's way. He's easy to find if you Google Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S. His number is 864-666-6666. Samuel Harms, attorney at law. For real, uh, these are the things I have seen in my own life. They hurt people. I know they have been in these kinds of accidents, and they need someone on their side to work through what happens next. So if you're in that situation, someone you love is in that situation, reach out to him, Samuel Harms, here in Greenville. He's near Woodruff Road in Greenville, 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. His number is 666-6666. If you have been gored by the modern-day ox, that is, hurt in a car accident, give Samuel Harms a call. Seriously, don't navigate this alone. If you need an expert, and you do need an expert, uh, you need Samuel Harms, 666-6666. Now, we have been talking biblical things lately, and I want to parlay that into the conversation happening around Barbie. I hope to see it. I know that it's been dubbed by Christian people and conservative people as just some kind of woke garbage. It might be. I don't. I don't. That. I mean, I, that'd be almost my instinct. Stuff that comes out of Hollywood just does that. I'm still interested in a cultural moment to to see what the message it is they're preaching and to most fully be able to critique it. I hope by the time it'll be by the time it comes to streaming that we'll see it. I bet because we just stay busy. Apparently, though. As I've heard the commentary, this Barbie movie critiques the patriarchy. That word, for us, for people like me, we hear that word and hear it denotatively. It just means the definition, the father rules. Now, while, while I hear it that way, I know that the secular world around me, they don't hear that. That's not what that word means to them. And so I, f- I find it interesting right now that there's a conversation in the culture about critiquing the patriarchy and the what they mean. And at the same time, these people that I've gotten into who are post-millennialists and theonomists, people that think God's law needs to be enacted today in some kind of equitable way, right now in those circles, it is particularly popular right now to call yourself a patriarchist, that you're for patriarchy. And all I can see is a big old problem of brewing because 
two people, two sets of people who really believe what they believe, feminists and secularists who think the patriarchy is 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 from hell itself, and people who are theologically correct. They both think for sure patriarchy is good, and neither one of them mean the same mean the same thing when they say that word. They could go through apoplectic nuclear war against each other over a word that they don't even have the same definition in. And so as that's about to happen, I'm asking you as a believer to be wise as serpent and, what is it, harmless as doves. Make sure that when you use these words, you give definitions. Listen, just because they have the wrong definition doesn't mean you don't need to have some compassion. Can I tell you what a woman in the modern-day America hears when you say patriarchy? They hear, oh, my father who, who left me and left my mom, my father who cheated on my mom, he should rule me, he should be in charge. The men who have used me and just come through my life, one of them should have been able to tell me how to, how to live. This generation of women who majority did not have a dad in their life and the, that other minority that did have a dad in their life, many of them were not very active. They, they weren't manly. They weren't doing the things a man was supposed to do. And you're saying, we are just saying out loud, yeah, those men, those men should rule you. Not having the sense and wisdom and compassion to say, we think men have a role to play, a responsibility. They are responsible for their wives and responsible for their kids. And saying out loud, that responsibility is not to use their wives and their kids for their own pleasure and for their own, uh, for their own ease of life. That patriarchy is ruled by the fathers and the way that fathers should rule is think hard and long about how you can work hard and serve your family. Look forward and look, uh, the word I'm looking for is retro, not retrospectively, circumspectly, thank you, circumspectly, uh, about threats that might come to your household and neutralize them. It's thinking ahead for the needs that are going to be in your household and working hard to provide them. The, this word patriarchy has been so... It has, it, it has a legitimate definition by legit. I mean, not lawful, but an understandable definition for whoever wrote Barbie. That woman is, I believe, in her mid-40s. She's never lived in a culture where any majority of men were decent men. And so uh, she's critiquing a system of patriarchy where a bunch of men who were given power did terrible things with it. This is why some people are arguing that the Barbie movie is actually in some ways a conservative message. I don't think that's true. They're arguing that the the feminism, the anti-man attitude of the movie shows how drab life is when men and women seem to want to separate from each other when we really do need each other. I doubt that's a subtext there. But I, I don't want to talk past each other because we're using a word that, for whatever reason, like I'll give you that same guy that's got on my nerves recently, uh, Joel Webin, who we've been, I don't remember his name, who said uh, people, all, the Christians should leave blue states, basically. Like He seems... Very intent on using the word patriarchy and not defining it. Like it's, it's almost like he's trying to pick a fight. Hey, man, you know what? It, what's effective is if you define your terms and recognize why your audience might object to the term you're using. 
that would just call on you to have some wisdom. Giving some time to recognize there's going to be an objection to that term, give some definition to it, acknowledge the very real reasons why especially women in this culture would uh, would object to it, and give that preloaded notion that if there is such thing as a culture where men primarily lead, we're not saying because they're just just because they're men, it's because they are men who are taking responsible and they're not going to use it for their own pleasure. They're, they're not going to they're not going to use it for abuse. That's what we're going to have to say out loud if we're going to ha- I think if you want to have any effective conversation about the patriarchy and what God's design is for, for family dynamics. All right. Uh, let me just remind you, you're listening to the Corey Act Show. You can tell me why I'm wrong or just give me general critiques on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, you can also email me at CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com, CoreyTruactShow at gmail.com if you want to comment on anything I just said there or what this thing we're going to finish up with. I want to play for you a video from Doug Wilson. He is a pastor. He's head of a ministry out in Moscow, Idaho, and he is the person I think is responsible mostly for the resurgence of these things I've explored the last year or so of Christ, of my my walk, that that there's a historic Christian tradition that sees the world as getting better, that we don't have to just inevitably head towards end of days, that there doesn't that decline doesn't have to happen, that the church can be effective and will be, and that there will be a growing, flourishing Christian resurgence in all parts of the economy and all parts of the culture. They've generally won me over with their argument. I, I think I can see that biblically. And they're also the folks who would argue, well, as that happens, as a people becomes more Christian, necessarily the governments they choose and the laws they enact will become more Christian. So we better figure out what that looks like. When Christians actually do have power, what are we going to do with it? Are, are we familiar enough with what God wants for, in our Bibles to actually enact it? So They've largely won me over with their arguments. You've noticed over the a couple of you have mentioned this to me. Uh, you've you maybe you've noticed personally I don't get along with them. They are not my people. Like they're like I'm going to spend eternity with them, but their disposition is just not my people. And uh, in this way, uh, in that realm, with a ton of respect for this man who knows a lot more than I do, who is an elder in the faith. So I'm, I'm going to watch my sarcasm. I'm going to treat him with the honor and respect he deserves. But I, I want to explore a good chunk of this video. I mean, the video is like nine minutes. I'm going to play like six minutes of it, start and stop along the way. Here is his premise. Going into the, the next phase of the world that we eventually punch out of this dark winter we're in where the American mind is just so confused about everything, it's rejected God's thinking on everything, it's going to collapse on itself, it has to, but those of us who even who think things are going to get better might first say, well, yeah, secular things have to collapse, they have to fall apart so we can rebuild something. He's about to talk about what leadership looks like in that world, the transition between the world falling apart and then rebuilding it. There's a lot here I like. There are some things I just want to comment on. I'll use the word critique and use that word critique humbly and with no sarcasm. Here's Doug Wilson. 
talking about the leadership in the, this time that we're going into. Two kinds of Reformed leaders in the church today. There are those who look at the chaos of the times and think of it as an adequate excuse for not doing their duty. The conditions were not quote-unquote right for stalwart obedience. The circumstances were not conducive. The sun was hot. He twisted an ankle. There was a lion in the streets. There are others who look at the chaos of the times and see it as a summons, as a call to stand up and do their duty. The trial causes the right kind of men to emerge. These are the men who will come out of the fourth turning with some scars, but with the moral authority to lead. It will be a different world then, and people will want to follow men they can trust. They All right, we'll take a break there and comment on a couple things. One, he mentioned there the fourth turning. I've talked about it on the show before. It is a, let's call it anthropological. I can't say the word. I'll, it's societal. I, pick a word. Uh, in the patterns of, hum, of human history, that societies go in 80-year cycles. Spring, summer, fall, winter is what the original purveyor of this theory called it. And you can track that, not just through the American experience, but through the Russian, Japanese experience, the British experience, that every eight or years or so, every 80 years or so, there are big calamitous events that reset a, a people group. If you track it in the American system, it was wars. Uh, 1776 through you know 17, 18 I'm sorry 1789 that's the Revolutionary War to getting the Constitution it was about 70 years later that we get to 1850 and the Civil War it's about what's that 80 years later about 80 years uh, yeah about 80 years later we get to Revolutionary War Civil War then to World War II in the 1940s and that would put us right now in the winter We're, we are in the the winter of a cycle. And you don't just die, you just start a new cycle. There's a springtime. And again, I find a lot of value in it because it's historically largely something you can map onto most civilizations. I will admit some Mormons have grabbed onto this. They do some weird stuff with it. Glenn Beck has done some weird stuff with the fourth turning. But I think there's some value in it. So if you heard that term, that's what it is. And we're, we are, in theory, uh, should be... The, the winter should be getting darker and darker for about five or ten more years, and then we're, go we're going to punch through. Here's now where I'm concerned. He set up two categories of leaders. There are those who take the madness of the times, and they're faithful to do their duty. And then there are people who make excuses. Here's what I'm fearful of. Because I think I need Doug Wilson. I'm fearful he looks at people like me and says, but I don't need you. And I think they do need me. I think we all need each other. I think if we're going to get through the winter together, we're going to need each other. But these, the definitions it feels like these guys have of what it is to do your duty, it always seems like it means doing exactly what they do, doing it how they do it. That there's not third and fourth and fifth options to be faithful. If we're going to be just as vague as to say being faithful and hearing the call to action as preach the gospel in don't change your standards. If I preach the gospel, I mean in your churches, whatever influence you have, social media, whatever it is, be faithful. Don't change your doctrine in the face of it. If, if it's just that general okay. But there's this, it almost feels Gnostic. I'm not accusing them of that. It just feels Gnostic that there's the, there's a, it's, almost, it's not like a secret way, but like there is this one way. And they know it. They know the way to be faithful. And someone like me who doesn't have the same disposition Maybe I'm not being as faithful. I, the thing is, I wouldn't tell, say that to them. I'm, 
sometimes I, I get concerned about their effectiveness, but not about their faithfulness. I just want to be careful with this, that even as I grow into being a little bit more like these people, I don't want to look at other faithful men who don't have the same fervor they do, or maybe they have a different fervor, and think of them as unfaithful, because I just think we're all going to need each other. Bravery and staring down the culture's madness is going to look differently for everybody. There will be those that preach hellfire and brimstone against it, and I don't really want to criticize them. And what I'm asking back is, don't criticize me for having a having a different philosophy of communication. All right, uh, let's keep going here with uh, leadership going into this new cycle. They will therefore look to the men who, in the crisis just passed, were trustworthy. As we think about these things, we have to remember that times like these have happened before. Quote, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Second Timothy four, two through five. What are we to do? We are to preach the word. That is our calling. That is our basic and foundational duty. Moreover, we are to do this in season and out of season, meaning that we are to preach the word when people are eager to hear from us, and we are to continue to do the very same thing when they don't want to hear from us at all. Preach the word whether or not you are in Aaron Wren's negative world. This is the central call, the basic duty. The times do not determine our duties, but the faithful performance of our duties will in fact shape the times. Two quick things. That's another reference I encourage going to read. I did it on the show. Aaron Wren wrote an article for First Things, either firstthings.com or firstthings.org. I don't remember which one, where he says there was a, a positive world in the West where being a Christian was thought of as good. There was a about a 40-year period where it was, a, it was a neutral world where being a Christian was just one of many options. And then starting about 2012, 13, this became a negative world. It's now the Christians are the bad guys. Their values are the bad guys. And he's arguing here, the be faithful to preach. I'm, I'm very encouraged by what he just said because he did leave it general. Just be faithful. Preach, faithfully preach what the Bible says. Don't change your doctrine to try to please the world. Now, one thing I, again, ca- caution. He says the environment, the conditions don't change your call to faithfulness. Right. It might change your tactics, though. You can be faithful in your tactic on how you do ministry, and the tone you take might be different. And I just want to make sure that we're all clear on that. I'm, I'm probably never going to be in the, ve- the vein of a, a Doug Wilson, a Joel Webin, these other guys I'm thinking of, uh, the bald guy, James White, I'm probably never going to be like them. That's just not how I'm going to present. But we're going to have the same doctrinal statements. We're largely going to be on the same side. We're going to want to do cultural engagement differently with a different attitude. But I would argue, while the conditions on the ground never change the mission, but for some of us, those conditions might change tactics, strategy, tone, possibly. And I'm just saying I want to be patient with those who see it differently, and I, I just hope they can be patient with me if I don't see it exactly their way. 
The times do not determine whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, and the times do not get to say whether or not Jesus is Lord. We live in a changing world, unstable as water, and we are messengers of an unchanging gospel. When we are being faithful in the business, the former gives way to the latter. What happens in a collision between a thick fog and an outcropping of granite rock on the shore? It is the fog that gives way. Too many of our erstwhile reform leaders... I love that picture. What, Jesus being that rock, true doctrine being that rock, what's surrounding us in culture is a fog. It's a fog of confusion that progressive secularism gave a culture. And as that fog beats up against this rock, it will have to dissipate. The rock's going to stand. That's a very powerful picture from Doug Wilson. Leaders tried to determine what was relevant by looking at what was the current thing in the world. This was the hello fellow kids approach. But nothing is more irrelevant than the ache for that kind of relevance. It is actually one of the hallmarks of the spirit of theological liberalism. It is one of the signs that we have ceded leadership to the hollow men. We say we are being led by modern men when we are only being led by momentary men. Quote, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves. Those who change and adapt with the times will soon discover that the times are a fickle lover. If the times were a classic pop song, we would call her Runaround Sue. But we are not apostles of a flickering shadow. We are sent into the world as preachers from the one who is without shadow or variation due to change. We are sent as heralds of a message that was established in the will of God before ancient times, before the world was fashioned. We preach the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means that this lamb that was slain is the foundation of the world. This secular cyclum. Before we go there, I don't... There's just an—I can be wrong. I feel like there's often an undertone about the that, the that the method is going to be more like these guys operate. The method has to be aggression, not just clarity. It's, it's, good, it's good to offer clarity. Being, cle- being clear is being kind. There's a, t- there's a tone sometimes that I'm finding that this new tribe that I am very reluctantly in now, their tone is often— antagonistic and I'm just not going there and I want to bring along people like me I want to bring people like me who have not been in these circles I want to bring them along towards this idea that God's law is good for modern day we just got to find ways to apply it properly and have wisdom I want to bring people like me along to the idea that the world doesn't have to get worse and that we can see the kingdom of God grow and I I don't think I'm going to win them over and bring them along if I do it the way these guys do it and so that's, I think I'm just taking this time to say, as I'm trying to even bring you along, you might come across resources from people that are making good arguments and you find them personally unlikable. Okay, I, I get it. And I, I'm just hoping we can all stick together. Just all stick together towards this good project, even though we don't all do it the same way. Now, this current crisis is happening to a secular order. The wheels are coming off of Pharaoh's chariots, not ours. Our secular sages and pundits have all collectively lost their minds. And this has happened to them not because they valued civic freedom so much, but rather because they sought to make godlessness the foundation of our civic freedoms. I love this point so much. Just nails this. That yes, the secular age is what's going crazy. And it's because they chose a world that says, we will reject God. Not he's not the godly way is a neutral one in our culture. It's we are rejecting God all things godly, and that's why their wheels are falling off culturally. 
The freakout over Christian nationalism, including squawks for many Christians, boils down to this misunderstanding. Too many of us have come to believe that Christlessness is somehow a solid foundation. But look what happens to all such houses when the storm comes. Read these words with the recognition that we are in the storm now. Quote, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew seven twenty six through twenty seven. People hear Christian nationalism and they think ecclesiastical tyranny. They conjure up a vision of reformed Ayatollah weirdbeards contemplating a new round of sumptuary legislation and draconian restrictions. But it is not the Christian nationalist who wants to make you eat cricket burgers. There is such a thing as a lawful, secular, and mundane space. There is. I don't know if I like that that part of the argument. It's it's almost it's just too dismissive of people who don't like that term Christian nationalism, and it scares them. There are Christians that find that term scary. And I want to have patience for them. Because that word, just like patriarchy, has been affected by a lot of people. And for that matter, same argument about patriarchy. If you're arguing that Christians need to be ruling a lot, well, one of the things I know people import in is, well, I've been around a lot of Christians. And I've seen some abuse there. And I've seen some madness there. And some real frivolity in a bad way, where they're not serious. And so just saying it sometimes, just these terms, that some of these guys are so intent on using terms that freak everybody out and don't put definitions on them and stop and talk about why there's challenge to it. Like this is how I feel about it sometimes. Sometimes they use these terms in ways that make me feel like the same way I feel when I run into somebody who thinks 9-11 was an inside job or that we haven't been to the moon or the earth is flat. It's just like, all right, You've laid out here some some very, uh, what you've laid out here is so outside of the norm, I don't really know what to do with it. And you don't seem to have any interest in defining it or having some nuance. You just toss it out there. Like, just put them, put them in a row. 9-11 was an inside job. Patriarchy is a good thing. Going back to my other one, pr- prisons are unbiblical. They're just these sentences, these assertions that, oh, and they added, added in one more, the earth is flat, right? These are, oh, you just said a big, hard thing. Shall we uh, have some patience for someone that hears Christian nationalism and wants to, they freak out about it because that's a very hard thing to, to hear. It means, it means to them something it doesn't mean to you. Gosh, I just want to have some patience for people. Is a lawful form of secularism, but there is never a lawful form of godlessness. Bear with me for a minute because I'm trying to explain to you that Christian nationalism is basically Christian secularism. This is actually a fantastic point, putting some definition on it. So I, I do appreciate taking the time to do that here. Not godless secularism, but Christian secularism. The church is the realm of word and sacrament. There is to be separation between church and state. The proper separation of church and state is a Christian doctrine. But there is no lawful separation of righteousness and state. As soon as any Christian applies a biblical standard of righteousness, as defined by God, to any of the collective actions of society, then he is, like it or not, a Christian nationalist. He may fulminate against being so labeled, but the fact remains. The fact is just sitting there looking at him with a fat face. 
He may call Christian nationalism all kinds of names, Hegelian, integralist, whatever. But if his ideas of righteousness are formed by Scripture, and if he wants the state to be righteous, then he wants the state to recognize that we are endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights. A blind evolutionary process endows us with nothing but privileges. And this is fantastic. This is what I'm talking about. This is the kind of stuff we need on the second part of my concern, that we're, that we're trying to use terms without context and give them good definitions. This is the kind of stuff we need to win people over. And they are rapidly vanishing privileges to boot. This creator sent his son to die, and the father raised him from the dead. This has political ramifications, and we need to just deal with it. This is the word. Preach it. In the meantime, always remember that the storm we are currently in is a storm that is occurring in this world. That makes it a limited and finite storm. And because it is a finite storm, the clouds contain a finite amount of water. There will come a time when this storm runs completely dry. When it does, we will walk around and survey the damage. Some ministries will have collapsed entirely. Some will be damaged, but still there. And some will have been revealed as anti-fragile. That will be the time to go get your pickup truck and pitch in on the cleanup. All right, that is the video. I think there's a lot of good, a lot of good there. But you, I hope you can also hear. Actually, I hope you can hear both things. I hear that good clarion call. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. There's all kinds of implications for that, and I want to bring people along into those implications. And I'm concerned that the that the people that lead in that lead in that world aren't going to be as effective as they need to be because they don't do enough of what Wilson did in the last minute of the video. The last minute, we get some good disarming definitions. I think here's a good a, a good rule of thumb. If you're going to use terms that come front-loaded with baggage, like Christian nationalism or patriarchy, you don't backload the definition. I think just communic- it's just communication 101. Maybe it's communication 301 or 401. Maybe it's a senior level class. But like communication is, hey, I'm not going to drop a grenade here and then later talk about how this grenade only lets out a little bit of smoke. I'm going to start with, hey, I'm going to hold something out here. Some smoke's going to come out of it. When you see it, it's going to look really scary. But I want to let you know up front some things you need to know about what you're about to see. And then I'm going to present the grenade. I think that's just good communication. Even that video, while there's so much good, there's an inversion in the order of how we, we go about trying to bring people along into what I think is great worldview. It's a very super helpful worldview for a positive outlook, and not just the positive outlook for the sake of it, but positive outlook for the King Jesus to get the rightful the rightful recognition of his reign over all things. That's a, that's a good way to close the loop on this. We One of the things that should happen to Nancy Mace as we started the show is there should be some, like, uh, there's a political ramification to this. You are unrighteous, and you are flaunting your unrighteousness. You should repent. And it, that's what her pastor should be saying to her. That's what a, a Christian message to her should be. And Christians in her district down in Charleston should be looking for a candidate who is more in line with biblical living and to and to institute that person. Try to give that person some, some vote. Try to give that person some power because there is unrighteousness in high places in that particular case like there is in lots of lots of other Congress people. All right, this is, that's the longest episode I've done in a long time. I'm hoping to come back on Friday 
and do another one of these. I'm hopeful that I can start doing more shows this month than I was last month, so stay tuned for that. Um, if you have comments, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, Corey Truax Show at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my name, Corey Truax. I'll be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.